This morning, we begin in the book of Acts. Why Acts? We're going to Acts because the followers of Jesus who are living in, in that time, much like we are today, were out of place in their world. Knowing Jesus, walking around with him, talking with him, placing their, their trust in him, then watching him be arrested and mocked and, and beaten and crucified. Experiencing the agony of that weekend and, and the utter shock and, and the disbelief and the, and the tremendous grief only to be awakened with the reality that he had come bursting out of that stone-sealed tomb in glorious victory, all of that immediately ushered them into this strange and, and wonderful new world. Almost instantaneously. Yeah, they find themselves in a familiar time, in a familiar place, but now they have a perspective fundamentally different from all of their colleagues and, and their neighbors, and their friends, and, and, and yeah, even, even family. This changed everything. It changed how they, how they talked, and how they walked, and how they went about all the things that they did in their lives. It altered the way that they looked at the past, and the way that they looked at the present, and the way they looked at, the, at what was coming in the future. It gave them a, a new understanding, a new way to look at, at success. And suffering, and fear, and even failure. It, it gave them a new identity. It made them, them oddballs, and outliers. And yes, some would look at them as extremists. The book of Acts, it tells us the story of a people who had been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus. Once they were scattered and divided by cultural and socioeconomic and ethnic and all kinds of other differences, now they've been brought together as one people with one master and one mission. No longer were they merely citizens of a broken and bent and disillusioned and death-destined world. Now they're marching forward under a new banner and in the victorious name of the risen Lord, the risen King. And that, my friends, that's, that's where we're at as well. If you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, we're, we're here. We're living in a world that we have gotten so used to calling home and is now becoming increasingly hostile. Each, each passing day, we see that. We're here in this place, and we're realizing more and more the, the, the cost of, of pledging our allegiance to the living word and living all out for his glory. We're realizing that that cost, it comes with the possibility of real sacrifice. It, it comes with the possibility of real opposition, of real cancellation. Yes, even real persecution. We've heard of these things. Yeah, they're out there. They're, they're across the seas. Now we're starting to, to wonder, is it, is it here? Is it starting here? Is it starting now? The people that we're going to read about in just a minute, they were right there. Things were heating up. We'll see that. Things were getting political. We'll see that. Things were 
coming to the point where arrests are being made. Even more than that, executions are being carried out. Yeah, we're going to see some of that, at least the beginnings of that. And yet in the midst of all of that, we're going to see a people who stood by each other. We're going to see a, a people that, that were, were, were faithful and true and bold and consistent. We're going to see a message that could not be contained. We're going to see a movement that was unstoppable because of the supernatural power behind it. We're going to see Jesus come through on his promise to build his church. Have you ever wondered what the future looks like for people, the people of God at, at, at this place and in our place and time in history? Have you begun to think that things are really going to go sideways here, that things are spinning out of control, that it's all going to hell in a handbasket, things are just falling apart? The book of Acts is going to be our reassuring guide and outline for how Christ has and is going to faithfully use his people for his eternal purposes until the day that he returns exactly in the same way that he left. We just finished our study of 1 Peter. Peter reminded us of who we are. He reminded us of, of what we've been called to do and how to live in days of opposition. We've had some instruction, yes? We've had some instruction. Acts is going to show us how it is lived out. I'm excited for this. Let's go, right? Let's go. Let's get into the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles. Forward in the name of the risen King. Let's pray again. Father, we approach your word with, with humility with fear and trembling, recognizing that this is the living word of God, your very word. What an incredible thing. We approach it, Lord, it, it, some of us with, with a sense of fragility and, and exhaustion, with an increasing sense of, of our great need and distress and, and vulnerability, Lord, but at the same time with a real sense of awe, that the great and awesome creator himself has made himself low, has condescended to a lost and miserable and weary and wayward people, and you've spoken to us. You're the one who sits above the, the circle of the earth, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, before whom all the nations, Lord, they're like a drop in a bucket, Isaiah tells us. And yet, Lord, you've reached down. You've come to us that we might be lifted out of darkness, brought into your marvelous light. Lord, these are the words of life. These are the words of hope and restoration. These are the words, that are, they're like cool water to our, our parched lips. It's like dazzling light at the end of a tunnel, Lord beckoning us to press on with joy and perseverance and determination to count each agonizing step, each new day, as an ever-present reminder, Lord, of the prize that is evermore within reach. 
Lord, as we step into the study, we, we're examining the powerful working of your spirit through simple and regular people. We're seeing the humble beginnings of the multitudes who would be numbered among your church. Lord, would you inform us and encourage us and enlighten us and fortify for the days ahead. Father, we love you. What we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Would you stand with me as we read from God's good and holy word? Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You've heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, so, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Uh, so this book is part two. It's part two. It's the continuation of Dr. Luke's accounting of the arrival, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, which he addressed to a man by the name of Theophilus. Now, Theophilus, we, we think, may have been some sort of Roman official because back in the Gospel of Luke, Luke refers to him as most excellent was this guy a new believer wanting to know the details of how all this Christian stuff got started? Or was he just a curious non-believer who Luke was trying to explain things to? We don't know. And I think for our purposes, it doesn't really matter all that much. What does matter is that Luke has provided for people of the past two millennia an accounting of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and then what happened afterward as his spirit indwelt the people that have been left behind. Jesus accomplished his mission, did he not? He did. The good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep so that by trusting in him, turning from their sins, they might be made new. They might be saved. Jesus accomplished his mission. He finished the race. After humbling, humbling himself to the point of death at a cross, he was raised to glory, seated at the right hand of God on his heavenly throne. 
But as he was lifted up into heaven, it was time for his people to get on with their mission. He had gone upward. Now it was time for them to move forward. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, he instructed his disciples right before he left. Luke records Jesus saying this at the end of his gospel, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So while he is on his way up, they were to be on their way out out of the camp, out into the world to continue the work that he started. They were to move forward. But how are they going to do that? I mean, if you take a close look at these disciples, you have to wonder how on earth they don't seem to have what it takes. They weren't ready. They certainly don't seem to have the courage. Do you remember what happened in the garden just before Jesus was arrested? They took off. They abandoned him. Just after that, Peter denies having even known him. And where were they when he went to the cross? All the way to the end, only John and some of the faithful women were there with him. Even when the good news broke out that he had risen from the dead, just as he told them that he would, they didn't believe it. Luke 24, 11. Jesus finds them hiding in a locked room. They're terrified. Maybe the people that came after Jesus, they're going to come after us next. These guys were crippled. Not the ones that you would expect to go out into the world and, and be difference makers. In fact, they're not people that you would even expect to, to be able to get themselves out of bed and out the front door in the morning. And maybe some of you can relate. I kind of feel like I can. Maybe the thought of, of standing up and standing out and letting others know that you are a Christian, not to mention sharing the good news of the gospel with them. Maybe that's just a debilitating thought. Hang in there. We are about to see God's fantastic and amazing provision. How does the risen king prepare his people to move forward. That's what we find here in chapter 1. Christ, the risen king, prepares us to move forward, first of all, through his teaching. Boy, we could miss this, but it's here. Look again at verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That is so significant. Jesus didn't call out to those guys in the fishing boats and say, hey, come follow me. You're going to be starting to not catching men, uh, fish anymore. You're going to catch men from now on. And, and then he said, okay, now see you later. Go do it. No, he stood by them. He spent time with them. He instructed them. He was preparing them for the work that he had for them. He taught them with his words, showed them through his life what this new life that he called them to was all about. He told them stories to, to illustrate key concepts. He performed miracles to reinforce in their minds who he was and that what he said was actually true. 
And like any good mentor should, he gave them that essential information and the example that they needed to get out there and do it, to continue on. Have you ever sent an email and forgot to put the message in there? Forgot to type it, it just went, there it is, and you're like, oh my gosh, what did I just, or the attachment, that happens all the time. There's no attachment, and they write back, how humiliating is that? Messengers can't move forward distributing a message that they don't have. They had to be taught. They had to be given the message so that they could deliver the message. And you know, it's no wonder that so many Christians these days are completely ineffective in going out into the world and making disciples because so many Christians have not been instructed as to what a disciple actually is. Some people are attending churches that preach against a bunch of feel-good, entertaining, generally moral messages, but that fail to give them the actual message that Jesus Christ came and gave us. And what's often the case, they, when they often quote the Bible, they, they do it a brutal injustice, extracting verses from it, stripping them of their context, and then applying them to things that they have nothing to do with. Friends, if we're going to move forward with a call that Christ has given us, we got to first and foremost familiarize ourselves with the message. Yes, Jesus came to save you from your sins, but we can't ignore the fact that the vast majority of Jesus' ministry, he was teaching. Take a look at Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and you'll see Jesus teaching over and over and over again, teaching, teaching, teaching. That's what he did. He was teaching in the temple, teaching in the synagogues, teaching on the hillsides, teaching on the roadsides, teaching on the shore, teaching in a boat, teaching all throughout the cities, all throughout the villages. Jesus taught. I think it's so sad these days when some people will point out, oh, Jesus would never say that, or Jesus would say this. And in the very same breath, they expose the fact that they don't have a clue as to what Jesus actually, who he was, what he was about, and what he actually taught. Friends, if, if Christ's people are going to go anywhere, they've got to know his teaching. It's the first way that he prepared us to move forward. If we don't know what Jesus taught, we try to get out there and tell the world what Jesus was all about without that essential information, that we're going to fail. We're going to lead people astray. Either we're going to utterly humiliate ourselves or we're going to point people to an imaginary person who we call Jesus. Have you ever encountered people who, who worship an imaginary Jesus? They're not the Jesus of the Bible. It's something, totally, something of their own creation something that maybe people would like Jesus to be. He fits into their view of the world, and it's a tragedy. This, I believe, is one of the reasons that the apostles emphasized, you've got to know Jesus' teaching. You've got to guard Jesus' teaching. You've got to be all about Jesus' teaching over and over again. We see that. Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in what? In the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. To the church in Colossae, he wrote, 
And, and, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The knowledge enables you to walk in a way that actually honors the Lord and in a way that's fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. To Timothy, he wrote, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We could go on and on, but you get, you get the point, right? Teaching matters. And we're not talking about those, those cutesy phrases that come in the, the big, bold, white print over a little square box, those, those memes that you see on social media. We're not talking about the, the 280 character phrases that are on uh, Twitter. We're talking about God's word here. And it's, and it's God's word here. We're not talking about words from some wise guy. <laughs> We're not talking about words from some ancient sage or yogi. I love saying that, yogi. Uh, or oracle or intellectual or philosopher or life coach. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the word of the risen king of kings and lord of lords. And we're not talking just about the red letters either. The red letters are, are something that the translators tried to figure out where Jesus' actual words are here so that we would somehow know what to pay attention to with the Bible. No, 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 no. All scripture has been breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That men and women of God might be complete and equipped for every good work. Do you know what has been taught? Just as it was for, for God's people, just in the days after his departure, it's crucial that we know God's word. As people all around us have their, their, their eyes darkened by countless deception, as, as their consciences are, are seared by the mainstreaming and normalizing of pornographic material, as souls are warped and turned in on themselves, they're incurvated by the new narrative that says that what you feel and imagine yourself to be, well, that's where your identity really lies. As their hearts are darkened by the lie that whoever does not affirm me is, you must be my enemy. As all that is going on, it's absolutely essential that we know what the book says. The effectiveness of our mission, the vitality and survival of our souls are linked to this. Christ, the risen king, he prepares us to move forward through his teaching. Cannot ignore this. And we cannot say enough about this. Dedicate yourself to knowing his teaching, church. He also prepares us through his reign in our lives. Look again at verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with what all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. What did he do? He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days 
and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus knew that his followers, they needed to be sure that he was alive. That's why he didn't just show up and say, hey, I'm alive, wave and smile, see you later. Wasn't that? No, he spent 40 days showing up to them again and again and again, hanging out with them, speaking to them so that they would have no doubt in their minds that he indeed had conquered death in the grave. And this is one of the reasons that those disciples, they were able to move from cowardice to courage, from hiding to halting the crowds with the crowds of thousands with a proclamation that Jesus, this Jesus whom you crucified, he's alive. He's, a ri he's risen from the dead. Notice it also says that he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. That, that kingdom of God, when we were going through the gospel of Mark, that came up again and again and again. What we saw again and again and again was people going, kingdom of, how, what, 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 is, what does that exactly mean? For years they heard him talk about the kingdom of God. They often thought that Jesus was going to somehow rise up and he's going to assume the throne and he's going to put down their Roman oppressors and he's going to somehow prop Israel up, God's nation up, and make it great. But then he died. Can you imagine? Then he died. And with his death, the dream must have died as well. What? What's, what was all this kingdom talk? I guess, I guess we were totally wrong. We were way off here. Three days later, he's risen from the dead. You imagine all that kingdom talk came rushing back on them. The kingdom, there, there's hope. Maybe, yes, the kingdom. Bring on the kingdom, let's go. And that was time, the time when Jesus had to refine and recalibrate their understanding of what the kingdom actually was. They needed to know that the rule that Jesus came to establish first, it first needed to be reestablished right here in their own hearts. And Christ's kingdom is, is everywhere that he rules, yes? That's the definition of Christ's kingdom. Yes, there is one sense in, in the rule of Christ, it's over all things. He rules universally over all that is and all that has been created. But the place that his kingdom rule must primarily be reestablished is the place where it was first lost. That's what Genesis 3 tells us about. When the first man and the first woman stepped outside. And so if these followers were going to move forward as kingdom representatives, the kingdom needs to be addressed right here. They needed to have an intimate understanding that, the, that, that Christ came to reign within them, in their own hearts. They had to be removed from the throne, extracted from the throne of their own lives. Christ goes right there. How many people these days, they think that they're Christian because they go to church once in a while? <laughs> Maybe because they have a family Bible, or because they have family traditions, or they pray uh, when they're in need and yet have no understanding of Christ's rule and reign within the deepest confines of their souls. Do you look at Jesus as merely your savior? Or do you understand him to be your living Lord? 
And living is important there too. No, we don't pay our respects to the memory of a dearly departed monarch, do we? Christ is the risen king. He's alive. And he makes claim on the real estate of your own heart for his rule. That land is mine. That territory is mine. That is where I rule, Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Notice the way he speaks to his disciples here after the resurrection. It says in verse 2 that he gave them commands. In verse 4, it says he ordered them. Is there authority there? Yes, there is authority there. This is not some type of timid, sissified, wannabe ruler. No, this is the living Lord. This is the reigning king of the universe. And if you place your trust and your hope in him, your allegiance belongs to him as well. The disciples ask in uh, verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And we might think at this point, Jesus just shakes his head and goes, oh my gosh, guys, please. Again, but I, but I, don't, think, I don't think that's what was going on in them at this point. Because of the way he answers them. He doesn't, he doesn't go on to, to, to go over once again, you know, no, you got to understand, I need to reign in your hearts at this point. I think they got that at this point. But I think that the, what they're realizing is, okay, Lord, you are our king. You are our risen Lord. And it started here. Now it needs to go out there. Is it time? Okay, you're ruling here. Let's go. Let's bring the kingdom to the world. Is it time? He doesn't shut them down. Instead, he simply says, it's not for, not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In, in, other, in other words, it's like he's saying, yes, it's coming. You can count on it coming. My rule will be fully realized, but not yet. Christ the risen king, he prepares us to move forward through his teaching through his reign in our lives, with Christ reigning in your heart, you are now enabled more to move forward through your life with everything that you encounter at work and at home with your children, with your spouse, with your uh, friends, uh, and, and even enemies. Christ ruling here, well, that's, it has to start there. And that equips us to move forward. Third, his spirit's power is one of the ways he's equipped us. He's prepared us. Back in verse 4, Luke writes, And while uh, staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Wait, he says. You can imagine them going, Let's go. Okay, we got it. We got your teaching. We got your rule in our hearts. We understand the kingdom here. We're going to move forward. Well, let's do this thing. What do you mean? Wait. We got this, Jesus. We've taken the classes. We get your rule, your reign. We're ready. These guys must have been so excited. Jesus is alive. What a twist this is. 
No one would have ever thought this would happen. But Jesus knew that head knowledge and grit were not enough. His people were going to need a supernatural empowerment, weren't they? They couldn't do it on their own. So he says in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit as we walk through the book of Acts. Now, there's some people who avoid talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of a, a nebulous thing. It seems kind of like an out-of-control thing. Some people are doing this stuff over here in the name of the Holy Spirit, and they're claiming that this over here was done in the name of the Holy Spirit. And so we really don't know, so we're just going to kind of keep the Holy Spirit talk on the down low. That's one of the ways that some people approach Holy Spirit stuff. It's a subject that's better, easier, left untouched. There are others, though, who make way too much of the Holy Spirit. They attribute all kinds of things to him. They're constantly talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. He did this. He did that. And they're giving, in some cases, more attention to the Holy Spirit than even to Jesus himself. And if that's the case, that's actually a problem as well because they end up doing the very thing that the Spirit doesn't do. They neglect to be about the very thing, the very person the Holy Spirit is all about. It's all about Jesus. When you look through Scripture, the Holy Spirit never draws attention to himself. He points us to Jesus. We're going to read about tongues of fire coming down and resting upon people. We're going to see that that was to point, so that they could point people to Jesus. We'll see people who are filled with the Spirit. And we're going to see them enabled to speak the truth about Jesus. When we see people walking by the Spirit, we're going to see them living in a way that is obedient to Jesus. When we see the Spirit enabling people to do miraculous signs, we're going to see that it's all for the sake of leading people to Jesus. No, we can't ignore the Spirit. We won't ignore the Spirit. But we need to make sure that we don't find ourselves becoming so completely preoccupied that we lose sight of the very thing that the Spirit is at work within us, moving us towards and moving us to accomplish. The fact remains, though, we do need the Spirit. These disciples, they're, they're, they're ordered to wait. Jesus made it abundantly clear that they're not to move forward without it. What they were called to do was impossible to do without the Spirit. It's important for us at this point, and we'll just briefly mention this, to understand that, that we're not like them. They had to wait, but now the Spirit has come. There's no more waiting anymore. We don't have to wait to receive the Holy Spirit. No, when after the Spirit's first arrival in Acts 2, it's now given freely at the moment people place their trust in Jesus Christ. That's what the, the Bible calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You place your trust in Christ, His Holy Spirit goes whoosh, inside of you at that moment. You don't have to wait for it. You don't have to ask for it. You don't have to do anything to get it. The teaching of God's word, it tells us it's, it's a totally passive thing. It's something that God does, not something that we do. Titus 3.5 says, it says, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal 
of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is all him. And we'll talk about this more in the days ahead and get a little bit more technical. But for now, know that if your faith is in Christ, his spirit is it in you, powerfully enabling you to move forward. And someone says, well, move forward, okay, what is this move forward stuff supposed to look like? What do you mean? Do you mean just keep on living? Do you mean on, uh, do you mean getting up each morning with a smile on my face? Do you mean uh, not giving up on life? Is that what we're talking about here? Well, maybe a little bit, but more so moving forward with the mission that's been entrusted to you by your risen king. You see, Jesus didn't leave his disciples just to wander aimlessly through life. (laughs) Resting, you know, my sins have been forgiven, okay, now I'm just going to do my thing. Nor does he do that for us. Why is it that so many people call themselves Christians seem to live this way? They they feel totally content. I, I got my ticket, but now I'm just going to resume my mediocre pursuit of my own impulses and dreams and desires and all that. No, Christ gave us more. He didn't leave us hanging. He prepared us. He prepared us by his teaching, by his reign in our lives, by the giving of his spirit. He prepares us through his call to mission. You'll receive power, yes, but you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Sure, the disciples could have just hung around and wondered when uh, Christ is coming back. Whoa, that was amazing. Okay, well, let's keep watching. When's he coming back? No, they had important things to do. They needed to get on with it. They had received all of his teaching. He was reigning inside of them. They They were going to get the indwelling of his Holy Spirit so that they could be living, breathing witnesses of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he will do for all who believe in him. This is why you've been given the power of the Spirit of God. You're to be witnesses. What do witnesses do? They explain what they've experienced. Peter told us in our last study that we are to honor Christ the Lord as holy Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. In 2.9, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In 2.12, he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, non-believers, honorable, So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, on the day of his return. What does all that add up to? Well, it means that we need to be ready to explain to people who ask what this whole Jesus thing is about. It means that we need to not just wait for them to ask us what Jesus is all about. We need to be actually proclaiming and declaring and pointing other people to just how awesome God is every chance that we get. And that could look like going to the market and being in the produce aisle and saying, this is a beautiful piece of fruit. Man, God is good. It could mean being at the LA Auto Show and you're getting in one of these new, amazing, crazy contraptions and you go, wow, this is incredible. What God, I can't believe how God has designed humans so creative. And the ingenuity that comes from them is just just amazing. I have a friend who does that. 
It could mean when our children are making a basket or they get an A on an assignment. They give some spectacular performance at a school play. That they should be on Broadway, actually. And it means pointing out how amazed we are at the gifts God has given you, my son or daughter. And you know what it does mean when we're hurting or under pressure or wronged or, or maybe fighting a terminal illness? Showing that our trust and reliance and hope are in the good and sovereign God of the universe. Some of the most awesome spirit-empowered witnesses for Jesus that I have observed have been in believers often when they are bedridden, moments or days away from the end. (laughs) And they come ready to say, you know, may God comfort you, may bring you peace, but the peace is already there. And they're there telling me to rejoice because God is their Savior. What opportunities has God given you to be a witness? You have unique opportunities. You look at your life, and if you're like me so very often, you look at your life and you're like, how come my life is like this? Why has this deck of card, hand of cards been given to me? And look at this person over there. They're living the dream. They're living the good life. Look, they're set up for success. They're having a great time over. Why me, God? And God says, look at the opportunities I have given you to be a unique witness for my glory. Yeah, through that childhood that you had, through that abuse that you suffered, through that 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 disability that you have through, through, yeah, that lack of intellectual capability that you have, whatever it may be, whether it's something that people would envy or some, something that people would not want to have anything to do with, you are a witness saying to God be the glory. My, my king is the risen king. Christ, the risen king, has prepared us to move forward through his teaching, through his reign in our lives, through the Spirit's power, his call to mission, finally and quickly, his promise to return. They just stood there, jaw-dropped, I imagine, motionless probably, completely blown away at what they had just witnessed. When he had said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. That doesn't happen every day. I wonder what was going through their their heads. That was really cool. Probably more, he's gone. Yeah, he rose from the grave. Now he really rose. He's gone. He's just going to leave us? What's next? And that's when two men in white white robes put the straight jacket. No. uh, (laughs) They said, men of Galilee. Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Friends, the risen king is coming back. Amen? Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me 
to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Knowing that his return is imminent, it is near, that should prepare us to get into it and get on with it. He's coming back. How much time do we have? I don't know. But I know each moment, it's closer. It's closer. He's prepared you to move forward. As you know, he's coming back. What is our move? Well, Christ has prepared us through his teaching, through his reign in our lives, through his spirit's power, his call to mission, his promise of return. The king calls us to move. He calls us to move forward. That's why the cross in our new logo leans forward to the right, because we read to the right. It leans forward. He calls us forward. Yes, he went to the cross as our, as our sacrificial substitute. He didn't stay there, did he? He's risen, and he sits enthroned. His reign has begun in the hearts of his people. He's already finished the race, and he's there at the finish line calling us forward, forward unto the end, forward as his witnesses, forward with the knowledge of his word, the submission to his rule, the power of his spirit, the call to his mission, the expectation of his return, forward for his glory and the good of his people, forward in the name of the risen king. Lord, thank you that we do not serve a dead monarch. We serve the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. May we not lose sight of that. May we wake up each morning in the reality that you reign. All authority is yours on heaven and in earth. It's all yours. And Lord, as we wake May we say, I have no king other than Christ. Lord, reign in me. That is our prayer, Lord. And as we look to you, and as we grow in our understanding of your word, as we're infused with the power of your spirit, may we be your witnesses here in North Orange County, and in all of California, and the United States, and to the ends of the earth, may we boldly and joyfully proclaim Jesus is our risen King. Amen.